Inside the Adventure, episode number 81, with Jeremy Jensen. If you've ever been afraid to step outside your comfort zone, then you're in the right place. Inside the Adventure features incredible athletes and everyday people sharing their epic stories of pushing life to its limits. Get ready to be inspired, face your fears, and take action with your host, Marshall Mosier. What's up, guys, and welcome to another episode of Inside the Adventure. This is your host, Marshall Mosher, and today we're going to hear the story of Jeremy Jensen, the co-founder of Outwild. Jeremy is an entrepreneur, speaker, flow junkie, mountain sports athlete, and much, much more, who's passionate about helping people lead authentic and intentional lives, rich with experiences that make them feel alive. His interests lie at the intersection of flow science, life design, and action adventure sports. He's the co-founder of Outwild, a community and event series focused on helping people design more intentional lifestyles. He's the creator of the Adventurepreneur Playbook podcast, which shares the stories of unconventional entrepreneurs and change makers building businesses and lifestyles in the adventure and outdoor space, very similar to some of the people we've had on this podcast. And he's a consultant for the Flow Research Collective. And today, we're going to hear the story of how Jeremy did all of those things, and mainly how he took that first step and got started himself. A good place to start with my history and sort of the shaping of what I'm doing now and my my embedded interests are, uh, is the fact that I I grew up in Salt Lake City, Utah. So um, for those of you who uh, I've never been there. It's pretty much an outdoor mecca. Um, there's just about anything minus, uh, you know, surfing and ocean sports uh, to do outside. So I was very lucky being born and raised there. Um, you know, kind of gets a bad rap. A lot of folks, um, you know, have a lot of judgment around Salt Lake and 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 the dominant religion there, but it actually is kind of a, a blessing in disguise. It kind of keeps people uh, from from flooding the area, which I kind of like, but uh, it actually is a total um, misrepresentation too, especially Salt Lake City. I, I think it was a really cool place to grow up in that um, I had a very progressive community that I was a part of, uh, maybe not so much in junior high and high school, but certainly as I became a young adult. Um, and I really, really thrived there, especially um, post high school. I think it was one of those things where, you know, I kind of grew up in a, a pretty affluent area, and there's a lot of homogeny um, right in that area. But as I as I kind of started working and becoming a ski bum, uh, working at a bar, you know, meeting a lot of diverse people and, and different mindsets. And, and that, that really shaped me very early on. And I think that's kind of where my travel, um, my travel bug started. In fact, I guess I back up a little bit with the travel thing. I, I remember my, my parents would subscribe to National Geographic and like, that was like kind of the Bible for me really early on. Um, I remember getting those issues and, my stepfather would have like literally hundreds of, of um, copies of the magazine on shelves. Like we are pretty much, we had like five shelves in our living room full, like this, literally the shelf was sagging because of the weight of these magazines and just volumes and volumes. And I would just go and pick one and read about, you know, some indigenous tribe in Brazil or 
the latest Everest attempt or, or whatever that was. And I think that just really sparked this curiosity uh, to travel and experience other cultures, but also this adventure um, outdoor sports thing. On top of that, I just, that was what my friends were doing. I mean, you know, I, I, I was pretty athletic in high school and, and earlier, big baseball player. I uh, got into swimming actually later in my high school, got kind of burned out of baseball. That was like my entire existence got a little burned out and, and switched over. And, um, that was something really good for me and continues to be, you know, something that I really enjoy is swimming, um, competitively. So, um, but the outdoor component was always there. You know, I grew up hiking and mountain biking and skiing pretty regularly as a kid. Um, so that always just kind of stayed there. And, you know, I spent a majority of my twenties vagabonding kind of dirtbag traveling all over the world. And, uh, it was a great way to do it. I, I, I have no regrets. And I saw, I saw many, many parts of the world and, uh, and it taught me a lot. I think the only thing I would change differently and advice I would have for those who are kind of in that maybe early adulthood phase is, is be, be kind of thoughtful about how you structure your travel. Like I remember uh, a friend of mine's dad telling me, he's like, wow, Jeremy, you are all over the place. I think I had just gone back from Nepal or someplace. And he's like, it's impressive all the traveling you're doing, but w- what are you getting at? What, what, what can you put on paper for it? And I was just kind of like, well, you know, you don't get it. It's the experience. It's the, the personal growth. It's the, you know, um, sort of intangible benefits of, of seeing the world and, and putting yourself into a different way of living. And, uh, and those things are all true. But I think I, in hindsight, of course, I, I think he was right. I, I wish I had kind of structured my travel to benefit me in a, a more professional way. Um, so that's a, some just general advice I'd give to folks who are, who are thinking about um, pursuing travel long term. I'm talking very long term travel. I mean, I was in places for um, months and years, not not days and weeks. So um, definitely a lot of opportunities out there, and even more than obviously when I was a kid uh, to to utilize that time effectively and to help you later on. Um, so that was that something that you got into right out of high school, or how did you how do you take that first step? How did that that lifestyle get started for you? Yeah, yeah, it was right out of high school. Um, I remember I um, during high school I was just kind of couldn't wait to get out of the states. I, I don't know why. I just had the, I think it really was like if I had to backtrack all the way to like nine, ten, eleven years old reading those National Geographic's, I just developed this interest in, in international uh, travel and, and different cultures. And so I think when, as soon as I graduated, I, I got a job at, uh, I don't know if people know it, but it's great harvest bread company. It's a little bakery, they, they franchise, they're big in the West, but, uh, it was the coolest job. I, I was, you know, a baker, I would go in four o'clock in the morning and go, go make bread. And it was just like this awesome environment. Um, and I would just literally work there for, you know, six, seven months, save up, and then take off for three or four months at a time. And it was a great situation because I could I could just, my boss was cool with that. Um, and I did that for, for three or four years. And then finally I switched over to bartending and would essentially ski and then travel with skiing and, and, and then travel uh, with other things too, other sports and, and experiences. So 
um, yeah, it was just really a series of saving up a bunch of money and then going and spending it all and then coming back and doing it over. That's awesome. I, uh, I, I'm sure you have some amazing stories from that. And when you got back, I'm sure all your friends were eager to hear that, but I feel like right now, especially for maybe some some younger people listening who might be in college who really want to do that, I feel like it's a little bit more accepted now. But I feel like that's sort of a recent thing where, uh, especially more per- parental pressure um, type outcomes are more willing to let their kids go do that. But what did your parents think of that? Because I feel like that has traditionally been something that not a ton of parents are thrilled to hear. You know, I think every most parents want their kid to go off to college and be a lawyer or a doctor. But did you get any pushback with wanting to do that and the, the benefit that it was, it was giving you? Yeah, no, I mean, that's a great question. Uh, yeah, of course. I mean, so, so without going into too much detail, my, my parents were divorced at a very young age. My mom is extremely progressive liberal. She was, had a very helicopter mom and who dictated her every move growing up. So she was like super hands off, but super supportive with me so she yeah but that being said she may have really had you know she probably at some point was like when are you going to finish college when are you going to start your quote-unquote life right but she never said any of that and she was just supportive and she just you know tried to help me however i could my father thought i was downright crazy he's extremely conservative um and just literally was questioning my sanity um so i think you know that you know you just kind of got to push through that i think i think you're right i think the trend uh luckily is moving more towards an acceptance of this i think again if you can structure it in a in a quote-unquote productive way i think there's no reason in fact i think it should be required i really do think an international experience and not not just to france or western europe or something but really where you see a, a different style of living and and different socioeconomic factors in you know manifesting themselves you know my mom's in in india right now and that's good you know she's doing a ton of traveling later in life and i went to india for the first time when i was 18 and you know it, it you can't you can't not have it open your eyes to how other people live and how how lucky we are in the Western world and some of these more developed countries. I mean, we just take this shit for granted. And she's there right now, just mind blown, right? She's she's in banking and is doing some microfinance work in, in the slums of India. And it's just, you know, it's humbling her. It's changing her perspective on the world. And that's, that right there is what's, a, what's so critical. And so I think a missing piece of... Our, our cultural upbringing here in the U.S. specifically is just this lack of understanding and appreciation for for how other, most of the world lives. Um, and that's a real shame. And I think it would help us be a lot more empathetic towards, quote unquote, the other, right? We're always just so, we fear the other, we hate the other, whatever. There's so much division in the world and in this country. And I think if we just took some time to understand the other person and their perspective and the way that they or the way they go through the world, that would work wonders. Oh, for sure. I, I couldn't agree more. I think, you know, part of the problem is that the the typical education system teaches you a lot, but that's one thing that I feel like it doesn't necessarily teach you much at all about. Of course, 
you know, like for instance, I went to the University of Georgia, who is one of the leading schools in study abroad programs, and it's definitely picking up. But I think that was only maybe five, ten years ago that that was even available as an option. So hope, hopefully, that's that's um, becoming easier to do and, and better. But uh, it seems like so many problems stem from just a lack of understanding of uh, what else is out there, especially here in the U.S., where we're a bit of a, a landlocked country, unlike countries in Europe that are um, physically surrounded by all these different cultures and people and backgrounds. Right. So it's a bit harder exactly. uh, when you're here. But uh, what what effect and what benefit do you think that, that brought to you at such a young age that helped you to um, uh, just to live life with a different mindset? Yeah, I mean, I think it just helped me, um, it helped me shape my own path, right? Like I think, uh, and, and I'll, I'll be the first to admit, I think, again, a lot of my travel was pretty aimless. Um, I didn't have an agenda. I didn't, I did it very cheaply on a shoestring. I just sort of like floated by. I'm not a big planner, so I just literally would go uh, to a foreign country without a place to stay, without knowing anybody, and just kind of figure it out. And there's a beauty to that and there's a sort of romanticism around that, which I kind of like, but also um, I think it, you know, again, in hindsight, you know, it's always 2020 and I think there's there's ways I could have utilized that time a little bit better. But that being said, it, it shaped who I was and it made me, you know, we were talking before the show here about things like risk and and, and getting out of your comfort zone, I think that's the biggest lessons, right? Like I, I really am not afraid to do much of anything. And I think that shaped, uh, that shaped my path uh, from a very early uh, age. And I think that travel component specifically, you know, I think adventure sports was one, one facet of it, but also the just sort of diving into these unknown environments, not knowing what the hell would happen. Um, is, is it was really powerful. I'll never forget. I was, I was, you know, and this is after I've been traveling for quite a few years and I was actually living in South America and, uh, I, I wanted to see Colombia. I'd never, I'd never seen Colombia. I'd heard a lot of good things about it. Um, but of course there's this really, uh, there's this strong narrative out there about Colombia and sort of the, the drug wars and, 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 the cartels and this and that, right? And so I remember, I'll never forget, I was flying uh, one of the few times I was flying instead of taking the slowest possible mode of transportation, like a bus or a, who knows, like a, a tuk-tuk or whatever. But uh, I was flying into Bogota and I, I was looking out the window and and there was this woman sitting next to me. And, uh, you know, I, I clearly had a, a look of visible concern on my face. And I remember her, we were speaking Spanish and she looked over at me and said, are you okay? And she said, have you been here before? And I said, no, I haven't. And anyway, we got to talking, long story short. And she basically, she was a teacher in Dallas, but Colombian visiting home. And she basically opened up her home to me and offered for me to stay at her family's house for the few first few nights. And, you know, that is very rare. I feel like, and that was that was sort of the very beginning um, the very beginning of my Colombian experience, I found that country and the people to be probably the warmest on the entire continent and just lovely and lively and vivacious and such a rich culture and beautiful countryside and cities. And I don't know, in Colombia was like the most amazing experience, but like if I would have listened to, to the narrative out there, I would have never gone. 
right? And so that's, I think, one good illustration of just sort of stepping out of your comfort zone. And, and typically, when you do that, not only do you grow, but you see, you realize, um, and you 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 realize things that you wouldn't have before, and you also encounter things that you uh, would have never had the chance to see. So that's so true. It's it's pretty unfortunate how sometimes the the lack of understanding of what the world and a lot of those countries are really like because we haven't been there before gets filled with what we see on the news and what the narrative is of you know what this country is going through or or how dangerous it's perceived to be and people just have this idea in their head of what it's like and never go there and assume that every everything or everyone is like that in that country which is really unfortunate but uh, it's fascinating to hear how I've actually heard that exact same thing that you just said from several people we've interviewed in the sense that they went somewhere that they were nervous to go to because everyone was telling them they shouldn't go and it was the most friendly population that they've ever met and people just open up their homes and uh, go out of their way to, to help you whereas if someone came from one of those countries to the U.S. they definitely most likely wouldn't get a response like that right. which exactly is interesting perspective to uh, to see at such a young age I'm sure so how did that how did that impact you in terms of what you decided you wanted to do? I, I remember you were saying that your mom was probably thinking in the back of her head, like, when are you going to you know, go to college, finish college? Uh, how did that travel impact what you thought you wanted to do with your life and what you ended up pursuing um, after that? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a, I think that's a really key point in this whole, in my whole life trajectory. I, Basically, what happened was, you know, I mentioned my mom, who who's a quite successful uh, corporate banker, um, and also my stepfather, who's all, you know, in 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 a stockbroker and in the finance space. And so I had this sort of like corporate model of like, okay, you know, climb the corporate ladder, um, you know, make some money, make yourself comfortable. Um, you know, build this nest egg and, 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 and some professional, some like super solid professional chops. And, and, and that's really important. And, and I think that that model certainly had an influence on me. So I, I'll never forget. I was in, um, I was in Venezuela and I had just moved back from spending a couple months in, in Amsterdam. I was dating a Dutch girl and I, I can't, we, we traveled in Venezuela together. And this was probably when I was about 20, Eight or something like that and you know I spent literally the last decade um, out of a backpack and um, I just we were in the back of a truck headed to the beach in Venezuela and it was like this really bumpy road and some shitty dumpy truck and I was just bouncing up and down and I was like you know what I think I'm over this and it really forced me to think okay well if I'm over it what's next and, and so I think that that narrative that was you know, in the back of my head from the way my parents, uh, the, my, the model my parents had shown me was, you know, I need to kind of develop some professional competency. So I was like, well, what am I passionate about? I'm really passionate about helping people develop a better situation for themselves, especially via things like entrepreneurship or, um, you know, building projects or, or uh, a name for themselves around something that they, they believe in and are passionate about. So I thought, okay, well, I've seen all this disparity in the world. Like maybe I can help people um, b- 
build businesses in in underprivileged areas. And so this idea of social entrepreneurship came about and I was like, shit, that's my thing. That is, that's my jam. I want to do that. And so I went back to school. Um, I, my undergraduate degree was in, in Spanish and international studies. And so I, uh, I went back and got an MBA. Um, and I, I went to American University in Washington, D.C., moved to D.C., and I was like, okay, cool, international, you know, kind of urban. Um, D.C.'s got a lot of cool shit going on. Um, and when I got into the program, I discovered another program in, in another part of the school that was the first social entrepreneurship master's degree in the country. And I was like, oh, shit, that sounds awesome. So I was like, okay, well, I'll get the traditional MBA chops, and then I'll do this social entrepreneurship thing too. So that's exactly what I did. So I did a dual degree in, in graduate school. And that's that's really what I, I had in mind for myself. And and then, you know, long story short, I'm still passionate about that topic. I am uh, I'm, I'm very keen on a lot of these social good, triple bottom line business models. Um, but I think the reality came to me pretty quick after graduate school. And I was like, okay, well, I all of a sudden have some debt and I need to do, uh, I, I, you know, I probably need to make a little bit of money so I can even pay to live in DC, which is super expensive and pay my student loans. So um, I started to say, wait a minute, what, what, what's, what is going to work for me? If I can't build a business or if I can't help social entrepreneurs, if I can't be a social entrepreneur myself right away, even though I did dabble on those things in, in business school. Uh, but um, I was like, well, consulting is like great because you know, I, I don't deal well with monotony. I like to have some autonomy in the workplace. Um, I like variety in the work. And I just, uh, I'm, I'm a very high level strategic thinker and, and less like a, you know, formal process oriented, like, you know, logistics operations type person. So consulting was, seemed great. So I, I got a, I got a job out of, out of business school doing consulting, management consulting. And so and, you know, that was definitely not the right fit for me. Maybe that's no surprise to people as, as I sort of talk about what I'm doing now and what what really come, captivates me. But, you know, I worked as a management consultant for six or seven years and that was invaluable, right? I was, I was the furthest from my sort of path of being a nomadic traveler and in the outdoor space and blah, blah, blah. Uh, than I'd ever been, but I was learning so much and kind of bumping shoulders with some of the smartest people I've ever met, right? So it was just a really good time, even though I knew in my gut it wasn't the long-term answer. Um, so I did that for a few years and, and just recently made a pivot back to sort of where I want to be. And when you were doing that, I uh, when you were mentioning kind of it was maybe a little bit different from uh, what you thought you would do, what people were expecting you to do, did you really, did you really love what you were doing, uh, or did you love the things you were learning in it, or did you have this feeling while you were doing that that you wanted to do something else? Yeah, I, I pretty, I mean, maybe very early on, right out of business school, I was like, okay, maybe this is the path for me. I don't know. Do do I want to work my way up to partner? Do I want to like basically? pursue the path that my mom took, which is awesome. Like she's doing super well for herself. She found a very fun career. Um, she, she has a lot of freedom now because she's, you know, at that executive level, she works her ass off and always has, but like that was one model. Right. And I thought, okay, well maybe that's my model. Maybe we'll, we'll test that out. It's no, there's no better way to know than, than trying. Right. And so I started right. to do that. 
And yeah, it was within a year or two. I was like, I just, this corporate thing, I, I just, I, I don't enjoy it. I just, it's not where I thrive. And, and that's not to say I didn't, you know, get into some teams that I loved and became close, you know, dear friends with my coworkers and, and, and had some awesome times and learned a ton, like I said. Um, and also, you know, had some experiences that, uh, you know, shaped even what I'm doing now, right? And so that, that was all valuable. But I think pretty early on, I knew, you know, this was kind of a means to an end. I'd learn as much as I could, as quick as I could, and then and then try and um, try and go on to something that I felt like was more interesting and fulfilling. But of course, the question is like, how do you do that, right? Like that's the big question that everyone right. struggles with, and then that's a really hard thing. Yeah, no, I. I completely agree in terms of how how you take that next step and how you plan for it. And of course, timing is so important in a lot of things, especially entrepreneurship. So while you were in that role, what were what were the things going through your head about what you really wanted to do kind of at this, as that next step? And how did you ultimately take the leap? Because um, I've um, I've got a lot of uh, well, I've, I've heard a lot of stories and friends in business school and after you go through an MBA program and you get into a really corporate job, I, I it seems like it could be very hard to leave that, especially when you've gotten a lot of success in that and you have a really good uh, job and paycheck. Um, it can be difficult to to leave that behind for something else. How did you plan for what you wanted to do next and actually take that step? Yeah, no, it, it's it's super hard. It's it's the hard thing, right? Like that's that's what I help people navigate now, and it's um, especially the pay part. You know, I mean, you, you know, you get into a job. I think I took like a 250% pay raise from, from before business school. And, uh, you know, it's like, oh, sweet. I'm rolling in it. Right. And, um, you know, but, but what's, what's ironic is that money, I feel like I'm, I probably don't make as much as I did, you know, when I was in some you know, sweet consulting role, uh, but I'll get there and I'll surpass it. And, and I think it's, it's the way you look at it, right? Like I just, you, the more money you make, the more you blow. Right. And, and so I've just kind of leaned up and, and tried to focus more on what, uh, you know, putting my money back into investing it into my future and, and, and various businesses I have going on. And so like that, yeah, it's, it's a little tight right now. Um, but it's already paying dividends and it will continue to do so. Um, but yeah, those first like couple years or months certainly are are rough, right? Like, and, and, and that's even if you know what you're going to do. I mean, maybe I'll explore that if that's interesting. It's just, I, I remember having a very, uh, kind of an epiphany moment. And I, I, I kind of knew, I've always been like a real nerd and student of like optimization and like entrepreneur you know, uh, uh, best practices. And I just read this shit and I have for many, many years, uh, incessantly. And the problem was, is that I wasn't taking any action on it. I would read something and be like, yes, that's, that's me. That's, that's so smart. That's so profound. Like when I get to the point, that's really going to benefit me. And, and at some point I just realized like I wasn't taking any action on anything that I wanted to do. And that I saw the vision for, and so um, I, I, I just reached a breaking point. And I remember being—I was in Utah skiing, and I, I kind of like had this, you know, 
point of no return epiphany moment. And it was just, I just was like, I, I can't do this anymore. I really need to start taking action. I'm like, I'm, I'm making so many excuses for myself. And what I realized was that I was just scared. I was scared to take the leap, like all of us are, right? We all have these limiting beliefs and fears. And it's like one of these things that you, you, with, without even knowing it, in my case, I thought I was pretty fear tolerant, right? Like I thought I was, you know, I do a lot of things that are inherently risky and, and, you know, I'm like, okay, well, I don't think I'm that fearful. But in reality, I, I was harnessing this fear and, and not acknowledging it, and that's even more dangerous. And, and I was fearing taking the risk. I was fearing what other people would think if I failed, the financial component, all these things, right? Like, and that's, that's what we all struggle with. But it's precisely when we start to confront these fears and actually acknowledge them, at least in my case, is when I started to see very clearly what my vision was for the future and a fire started to burn real hot in my belly for what I wanted to do and how to make it happen. It's really interesting that that realization happened while you were skiing. And it seems like skiing has been a, a big part of your life. I can't imagine how it wouldn't be growing up in Salt Lake City. But um, with all the all the work you've done with um, with the flow state and a lot of Stephen, uh, Stephen Cutler's work, it's interesting that that skiing helps you to, to realize that. How did you kind of connect that work and that um, kind of flow state ideology into what you wanted to do and how do you ultimately take that step? Was was that a big role in, in taking that step for you? Yeah, 100%, Marshall. I mean, that 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 you, you nailed it on the head, but I didn't realize that at the time, right? I mean, that that's that's what's so interesting about flow and, and, and for those listeners, uh, you know, um, the flow is this, flow states is this uh, sort of umbrella thing that I, I really consider is the, the paramount are the pinnacle of everything that I do. Everything that I do falls underneath this topic, I think. And it increasingly has been since I've kind of doubled down and become, you know, believe it or not, there's a flow certification out there in the world. And I, I just completed that. Um, I, I read endlessly on the topic and, and, and building some projects around it. But I think that that was absolutely the case. You know, it, it's no coincidence that I was skiing and, um, harnessing these flow triggers and and that epiphany came to me i, I believe that fully and and i shortly there after realized that you know flow was essentially how, what had been shaping my life it was this this um, force that was I, I was shaping everything that i'm interested in that i dedicate time to and that i I build activities and my daily existence around. And I, I, I remember the moment that, that that was another sort of epiphany moment. I was like, you know, read my first book from from Stephen and and Jamie, and I was like, holy shit, this is like the thing, right? Um, but but to answer your question, I think the thing that came to me at that moment skiing was I like I was like, you know what? I got to take action, and here's how I'm going to do it. And so I went. It wasn't immediate. But I knew I needed to take action. I remember uh, flying back home to DC and I was in the shower the next morning. And uh, I had heard about these, it's sort of a silly story, but I, I had heard about these like crayons that you can write uh, on the shower wall with. 
um, because I, I, I was talking to this about a friend probably when I was drunk or something one night and, and they're like, oh, you got to try these because I was coming up with all these great ideas like many of us do in the shower. There's no coincidence there, right? Like we, we, we put our phones down and we just kind of let our minds wander and what do you know? Good ideas come. So that's a whole nother thing about, you know, phone addiction and digital detox that, that I'm really interested in too. But, um, yeah, I had the idea for this podcast and, and I thought, well, I just want to, why do I want to do a podcast? What is it interesting about it? And, and I, I wanted to just learn from other people. I was like, no better way because, I mean, you know, Marshall, like you look, you open up the internet and you hear all these success stories of like people making it big, or, you know, developing some course or, 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 you know, who knows? There's like millions of ways that people talk about trying to make money and, and building a career for themselves. Um online or, or, or in some, you know, other fashion. And so I was like, well, but, but is some of that, is, is that stuff credible? Like, cause you hear it all the time. And so I was like, well, no better way to find out than just sort of like starting to talk to people who are actually doing it. And so that's kind of the concept. I remember writing on the shower wall. I was like, I mean, what am I interested in? I'm interested in adventure, the outdoors, blah, blah, blah. And I'm interested in entrepreneurship. And like those two things were on the wall together. And I, I was like, well, let's throw those words together. And I guess that was a thing. It wasn't too big of a thing, luckily, but this idea of adventurepreneur um, kind of came to me and that's that's what I did. And I started named the show that and started reaching out to people and I cannot believe people said yes. I still can't believe people say yes that they, some of the people that they do and as I'm sure you can relate. And uh, yeah, it just kind of started from there. And then really the doors started to open. Again, the fear uh, taught me so many things. The podcast taught me so many things about fear and and just putting myself out there and and sharing this message, oh, sure. and like make open sourcing the learning that I was doing, and that really has been a magical process. Yeah, it's an amazing journey. I mean, I can't believe you said yes to come on this podcast, but <laughs> yeah, not so much me, <laughs> but you know who I'm talking about the big the big boys. <laughs> no, no, you for sure. It's uh, it really has been an amazing journey. Um, and I'm sure you had a very uh, kind of similar experience. But when you first got started on that, did you know anyone that had a podcast? Did you get any advice? How, how do you how did you just jump into that and, and get started? Yeah, no, the answer is no. A big, big no. I, I, I didn't know anybody. I mean, I started to poke around a little bit and like, you know, you there's that social commitment, right? Like you start to put it out there and then and then show shit, you really have to do it, right? Or else you're a hypocrite or a, uh, you know, you don't walk the talk. And so um, I started talking about it and then I had to do it. And and I think, you know, there were a couple little people, but I didn't honestly learn too much from them. I just sort of tried to limit because at that point, like I said, I, I had consumed so much information about God knows what topic that I just, I, I learned a few lessons that like, I can't just go on the internet and read everything that the internet offers on some topic. You just lose absolute motivation. It's overwhelming. You don't. So I just learned to kind of like focus on maybe the one or two things that seem most salient to the, to the particular topic at hand. Like what equipment do I need? I don't need to read 15 articles on what equipment I need. I need one article, maybe right? Like, and take half the advice and just try. Like, and, and so through that process, I really developed, and this is one thing my listeners uh, really voice back to me that they hear loud and clear, which is, I'm so glad this is one of my key, key lessons I've learned. It's just, it's just start before you're ready, right? This is how successful people function. If you don't start, you're never going to do it. 
you're just going to continue to consume information. You're going to continue to make excuses. You're going to continue to let fear take over. And so that start before you're ready thing, it seems counterintuitive. It's like, no, you're going to make a fool of yourself or you're not an expert or all these things, right? No, no you just well, got to sure. start. And yeah, learn. there is. And you know that better than anyone, I'm sure. That's so true. There, um, there's some great advice I got that uh, was if if you don't go back and listen to your first episode, you know, a year into it and just cringe a little bit, then you waited too long to perfect it uh, before before launching it. And that is definitely the case. Please do not go. Anyone listening, do not listen to episodes <laughs> one through five. They're all they're all terrible. On my part, the guests are great, um, but I suck. Yeah. So well, <laughs> again, that's that's the rite of passage. Exactly. You just got to jump into it. And uh, that's where that, that practice comes from. Yeah. So what did that experience do for you? And how did it kind of open the door into what you ultimately wanted to do next? Um, in, uh, in everything that you've been kind of learning and building towards and, and working towards throughout that? Yeah. So I think, with, you know, there's a lot of things and, and there's some like really tangible things and then some some kind of more intangible things. I think one of the biggest intangible things was and again, just for people, this this doesn't require that you go start a podcast, right? Like there's lots of ways to sort of make the first step or do, you know, I think content creation is a really good one because what I'm about to say is it gives you confidence, right? Like it gives you the ability to understand, okay, I can do this. It might be kind of shitty, but like, don't be a perfectionist. Just put it out there, see what people think. And you'd be real surprised whether it's a blog or a video or just a business idea, like, put some pen to paper, you know, do a, and by the way, the people don't do business plans. I mean, if you want to do a business plan, by all means, if you're going to get bank finance and go for it, but like, just go Google lean startup canvas. It's one page, put a, put a concept you have on, on this one piece of paper, all the key components and, and, and then share it with people. Like there's all these entry points, right? And it just it so happens the podcast was one for me, but it was a big, it was a big confidence booster. It makes you feel productive. It makes it made me feel like I was finally taking action, which was the biggest thing. Once I started to take action and realized that it was I was not only feeling great about it, but it like results were happening. That was the biggest, you know, motivator ever, right? Like no, no bigger or better fire under your ass. And so what started to happen was, you know, you talk about the first few episodes. I think my second episode was um, was with Sonny McCandless, who who ended up being my business partner, right? Like we we fucking became business partners. Like that that would have never happened, right? Like we we uh, it's kind of a funny story, actually. So so for those of you out there who maybe know that name if you know alex honnold that's that's her partner and so she she's had a wild couple of years um especially since they won the oscar and and the movie's taken off and but before any of that um it it was just i found her somewhere uh, on the interwebs and was like oh well, she's a life coach she's helps people through transitions this is kind of like my jam and and we just saw kind of saw the world the same way. And I could see that from even just her online presence. So I reached out to her. Long story short, my girlfriend's from Vegas. She, Her and Alex live in Vegas. I happened to be there for Thanksgiving. I was like, let's do the interview in person, which I always try and do because I just like connecting. And uh, sure enough, I went over there and we just hit it off. We just hit it off. And we, you know, I hung out with her and Alex. They were super down to earth, super cool. And that's kind of how um, 
the idea for a very, what I would call good sustainable businesses now, you know, a year and a half, it's only been a year and a half, but that still blows my mind. Um, but yeah, a year and a half later, here we are, we have a business together and, and, you know, we just kind of stayed in touch after the podcast and, and shared ideas. And I, I kind of, I, I remember seeing something that someone was starting a retreat business or an in-person event. And I was like, I sent it to her. I was like, you really should think about this. Cause she mentioned it during the interview. And I wasn't thinking about myself being involved with her much at all. Really. I kind of was still had my corporate job at that point. I was kind of busy. I didn't really have time to dedicate to it, but she wrote back and was like, yeah, would you be up for jumping on a call? We can kind of think about this. And so we did. And then that's kind of where it all started. And now, you know, we're, we're up and running. I, I think I was telling you before the show, Marshall, like Out Wild is the company we formed. And what we do is basically help people think more intentionally about their lives. And, and so our, our tagline is like intentional life design for the outdoor and adventure minded. And so we're really big in this outdoor space and we run, we run retreats and events um, with, you know, workshops, keynote speakers. We get outside a lot, right? Like that's a key component is climbing, biking, um, we're doing an event in September that that we're doing some river rafting and hiking, you name it. And so, um, but now, you know, we just sold out our event in September in two hours um, and we have a, a multi-hundred person wait list. And so, you know, that's just in a short time. And then all that would have never happened if I wouldn't have had that, uh, you know, that epiphany moment skiing and I wouldn't have come up with, it wouldn't have had the the guts and the courage to like, take a shower and write some name of a podcast on a wall, you know, like that all came from yeah. that. And, and that's just one, of, that's probably one of the bigger examples, but there's been so many opportunities and so many doors that open and uh, not to mention my own mindset, what, the, what it's done for my own mindset um, to just kind of commit to a project and take action. That's the, the really important part. Exactly. Yeah. It, it really does give you a good excuse to take action. And like you said, a podcast is not the answer for everyone to take action. But, um, you know, I had a very similar experience as well, where I really wanted to hear these inspiring stories from people who've found a way to combine their passions in travel and outdoor adventure sports with what they're doing professionally and how they're impacting the world. And it's hard to go out, you know, just as an individual and say, hey, you don't know me, I'm one of your fans can we have a conversation um, because you inspire me? People get so many random emails and texts and calls, all kinds of things that a lot of people don't, it's not that they don't want to help you. They just don't have the time or are just bombarded by that kind of stuff. But having a podcast, you reach out to people and say, Hey, I want to share your story with the world. It's, it's adding value in a unique way that is helping them to use their story as inspiration to do something there. They're, really passionate about and you just like for you that's also been a really amazing way for me to hear these really incredible stories and and make a lot of incredible connections just like you were talking about so it just gives an excuse to get out and take action but whatever that excuse is um just finding a way to go out and 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 start taking action on those things you really want to do things that really inspire you i think is the key and that's that's awesome to hear how it's how it's happened like that and now that you've uh, kind of got so much really amazing early traction. What's the the plan for uh, bringing this to a bigger audience and kind of uh, what you want to do as a next step with, with Outwild? Yeah. So, uh, well, first of all, I mean, c- congrats to you because I think we, we were cut from the same cloth and it's just been fun to kind of read about what you're doing and and, and with Vestigo and, and all the other things with the podcast. So um, I think that's great. I, I, I applaud you for, you know, 
doing this too, right? Like this is, you clearly get it and, and you're, it, we're all just on this path together and we learn from each other and, and I appreciate the opportunity and I'm honored to be on the show and kind of share my story. But I think it's worth acknowledging that, you know, you're, you're really walking the walk too. And so, so kudos for that. Um, Thanks. Well, just like yourself, I had no idea what I was doing when I first got started. Yeah, right. How would you? Uh, no one does. You know, it's like, right. but, but that's what holds most people back is like this this fallacy of expertise, right? Like you have to know all the answers before you can put yourself out there. It's just so wrong, right? Like exactly. No really one who's even remotely successful, um, specifically entrepreneurs, are, are they all started not knowing a damn thing and not knowing a damn person and feeling scared and insecure and that they'll probably fail. Um, but they, they took action anyway. And I think one thing worth noting before I jump into what's next for Outwild is, is action is key, but it's like, it's more, it's, there's a qualifier with that. It's consistent action. I think that's like, I literally have a, a, like a little chalkboard in my desk and I probably always will. Sometimes I change it up, but I always go back to the same message that I just want to pound and pound and pound into my head over and over again. And that is just like consistent action over time eats everything for breakfast. And and, and that's really so true. I find like it's it. I I'm very impatient, and I try and build, 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 and you know I, I, I have these visions, and it literally just takes me over, and I, I'm in a deep flow state, and I just want to take over the world overnight, right? Um, and it's been a really big learning curve for me to acknowledge, well, this shit takes time. And not only does it take time, you just have to be consistent. Just a little bit each day um, is really what moves the needle. And that, you know, that may come natural for some folks, but for me, it didn't come so natural. So I've really had to ingrain it into my head and, and, and take that um, to heart. Um, yeah. Well, you know, it's human nature to want immediate results. Right. It's just we're we're wired that way, and that's just not how it works. I mean, the, if I could say, if I could actually say one single theme to most all the interviews that I've had on this podcast, it's probably what you write on your chalkboard. It's that there is no silver bullet answer. It's uh, a lot of hard work and consistent action to create that vision of what you want. Like. Um, like we had a um, um, we had a really amazing interview with uh, Chris Ricard not too long ago, oh, yeah. where he he was saying that a lot of people want to uh, you know see all these amazing photos and incredible lifestyle of kind of an outdoor adventure photographer and videographer and say how do I make that my life? And there is no silver bullet answer. One thing he said was you know I lived in a van for almost a decade before anyone cared about what I was doing, and that's just consistent action. You're right, is what uh, what creates those results. But if it's something that you're really passionate about, really excited about, really want to create an impact in that space, then consistent action really isn't that hard because it's something you love. Right, exactly. No, 100%. You hit the nail on the head. And and Chris is a great example. I, you know, it's funny. I heard him talk, um, outdoor retailer here, uh, not this last show, but the show before. And yeah, that was, he was harping on that same thing. And, and clearly, I mean, like the guy, you know, he's kind of the good, he's one of these big names in the outdoor photography space. And, and it's, you know, that didn't come overnight, man. Those, those four million followers or whatever he has and this huge audience, like that's that's cultivated. Um, and that's something I think really, especially with the social media age, is like it's so easy 
to look at people and be like, oh, they're so successful. And they're just like, I don't have the formula. I don't have what it takes. And that guy, you know, how could I ever catch up with him? Well, first of all, you should never compare yourself to others. Second of all, you need to realize that that took a whole lot of hard work, blood, sweat, and tears. And Chris would be the first to admit that. And I, I agree, Marshall, this is one of the big, big themes of, of the folks that I interview too. It's like, basically it separates the haves from the have-nots. So I hate to, you know, it's 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 not that difficult and it's it's pretty simple and I hate to put a some some blunt point on it but like if you're not willing to dedicate consistent uh, time and energy to what you're working on, forget about it. Just don't do it. You're you're not gonna make it. I'm sorry. It's I, I really truly believe that and I, I just don't know, you know. I, I don't even think you can take into account the outliers like the, this American Idol concept. Right. I was just talking, I just interviewed Brendan Leonard. Um, if you guys know him as semi rad, um, really funny guy in the outdoor space. And we talked about this idea, right? It's like this American idol, um, influence and this, this immediate gratification thing. It's like, you know, we, we celebrate this thing and like the, how popular is that show for 20 years or whatever. And like, if I just get my one shot, I'm going to make it and I'm going to be a star overnight. Well, first of all, those people, that's an outlier. The, the opportunity to get to do that is very slim, but also those people fade out. Like who's the guy they always mention, like Clay Aiken or whoever was one of the first ones, or like, what's up with that guy? You know, like, no, 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 you, you don't see, uh, I don't know, Bono from you too. Like that, he, he didn't rise up overnight and like didn't become the most successful band in, in modern history uh, because of, overnight success or the modern world he played in shitty smelly bars in ireland and 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 slowly slowly made his way up to the top and then that's just one example right like and i think people just need to realize that i, I i'm kind of harping on that but i think it's just so critical and 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 it, we just have this instant gratification culture and you really need to question sure. that. and you know it's it's no different for companies as well as individuals you know whether it's whether your work is kind of a uh, you know, company of, of one, just kind of a personal brand, or whether it's uh, you know, a company of of uh, 50 or 100 or even more, it, 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 I think the exact same lesson applies, which is why I love those entrepreneurship stories uh, of similar types of, um, of things that these huge companies that people like, for instance, Airbnb, everyone says, oh, yeah, well, they're massive. They must have just had this big break. Well, you know, they one of my favorite entrepreneurship stories is how they literally sold Cheerios to make enough money to keep the lights oh, on. They really? called them Obama's at the time. <laughs> Oh yeah, well, I get this kind of a tangent. I'll tell the story really quickly because I love it. But um, in the early days of Airbnb, they had this really crazy idea, and most revolutionary ideas are the ones everyone thinks are crazy until the right timing allows it to actually be a revolutionary new idea. So, uh, you know, this crazy idea of staying in someone's house that you have no idea who they are um, really turned off a lot of investors. They said, you know, well. Um, how do I know that the person's house I'm staying is isn't, isn't like a serial killer and that they're going to you know, come in the middle of the night and, and like kill me or something. And, and I think a lot of their potential investors said, you know, someone's going to get killed or murdered in some gruesome way using your product. I don't want to be a part of that. And had, they had a really hard time raising money. So, uh, when they first got started, the way they got started was that, they were offering um, these, you know, Airbnb stay in someone's home um, 
you know, lodging during events in cities where there were literally no hotel rooms available. So like these massive conferences in, let's say, New York, that was one of their hotspots, um, when you literally could not get a hotel room because they were all sold out. And one of the big conferences was the Democratic National Convention. So uh, that's why people would book Airbnbs because it was literally a last resort. There's nowhere else to stay. And they knew the Democratic National Convention really well because they knew everything that they there was to know about these conferences because that was their bread and butter. That was how they were getting customers. And they knew that at the time uh, Obama was running, people were just so excited about Obama and they would buy anything related to Obama. So they bought these wholesale massive bags of Cheerios and they had a graphic designer uh, make like a Captain Crunch version of Obama, like a cartoon Obama <laughs> eating Cheerios on the cover. And for they real? called him Obama-O's. No way. Yeah, for real. I gotta look this <laughs> this is a real story. <laughs> and they they sold Obama O's for twenty dollars a box as like a gimmick, and they raised twenty thousand dollars at the Democratic National Convention selling Cheerios, and that's what allowed them to keep the lights on to eventually be a multi billion dollar no company. Way. So it's just perseverance. Cool story. Yeah, and that's that's the same for for individuals as well. Yeah, um, totally. You just gotta kind of keep doing what it takes to to get Absolutely. there. So what's uh. What's what's out wilds Obama is? Yeah, shit. I think we need some version of that. Who knows? Maybe uh, I don't know. Who's our Obama? Maybe we just maybe we just copy it. I don't know. That's what all good entrepreneurs do. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um, yeah. No, uh, it seems like you guys probably don't need it though. You're. Uh, it seems like things are going really well with some massive wait lists. It's, I'm really excited to see uh, what happens in the future with it and and come on some of it myself. Yeah, well, thanks, man. I mean, I, I, I wish we were at the level of Airbnb maybe someday, but uh, no, we're, we're, things are good. I cannot complain. We've, you know, again, in this short amount of time we've, we've been rolling, it's, uh, um, we've really gained some traction. And, and what's most important is like, we just see the, the impact that we're having in people's lives. And like, that's, that's what's so cool about in-person events. You know, I mean, there's so many great ways to do that. And you and I both know, you know, from from podcasts and just putting content out there, right? We, we get people reaching out and saying, like, dude, this thing you said, spot on. Or, you know, I, I, I've been working on this idea or blah, blah, blah. You know, it's like, that's the mode. That's that's the gold, right? That can, and that, so it's just sort of taking that to the next level with in-person events because it's real-time feedback and you see you see people crying, you see people having a vulnerable moment or you see, you know, connections being made amongst the participants or something like that. And so it's just, it's got, it's, it really is the most fulfilling um, thing I've, I've ever been a part of and, uh, and I, I feel very lucky. And if that's something, you know, Sonny, myself and Courtney, uh, really, really try and keep front of mind. And it's like, how do we, how do we make an amazing participant experience? And and we've been, you know, just very lucky that we kind of got this formula that worked the first time and, and, and people were, you know, raving about the experience. And, and we heard things like this, this event changed my life and, you know, those types of things. And, and we just couldn't be more flattered and grateful for those opportunities. And so, you know, but from a business perspective, it, it's it's starting to get a little attention, which is really fun, and and um, it's a challenge, though. Like you said, you know, I, I know I mentioned before the show, we sold out our event in two hours, and and we've got a wait list, and it, it, that's a a great problem to have, but it, it's nonetheless a problem. Like we need to figure out how how do we scale this thing. Like this, we all put so much work into these events, and and now you know in order to scale up, right? Like that's 
that's a challenge. That's to create that magic sauce. That's not by accident. Um, and so, you know, I mentioned to you, I think that we're, we're starting to work with some brands that are really excited about what we're doing. And um, so, you know, a brand, we have some amazing brand partnerships um, out there uh, already with, with some really well-known outdoor brands. But I think uh, we're kind of just trying to take that to the next level and, uh, and develop a long-term partnership with someone who really sees the world the same way and values what we do. And, and people are, people are um, receptive to that. So that's kind of what we're doing and we're, we're scaling up. So next year we'll do uh, either t- twice or three times as many events. Like I think we're still kind of toying with 2020, but um, many more events. And then, like I said uh, as well, is uh, you know this this hyper local community side of things. Um, you know, I think there's a lot of opportunities, not just in in outdoor hubs, but uh, all over the country for sure. Uh, just people who, I mean, a want to live more intentionally, or, or maybe they're not real psyched on their job and just kind of feel half dead going into the office every morning. Um, you know, there's a lot of ways to kind of think through what the next step might look like and if that's you like maybe you have your reasons to do that maybe you're taking care of your sick mom or maybe you're um providing for your child or 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 you just want to get the experience and you know one day it's going to work out that's great but if it's if it's if that's not the case and and you know deep down that you know your values aren't aligned to the way you're spending you know 40 hours a week and 165,000 hours or something like that over the course of a lifetime. That's 16 years, by the way. Uh, it's pretty ridiculous. Um, that, uh, that, that there needs to be a change. And so we help people kind of navigate that. And we just, we just happen to focus on sort of the outdoor community because that's what we're passionate about and helping people get outside. And we kind of serve as an entry point to people who either have never have found it intimidating to be in the outdoor space uh, to get outside to go rock climbing, uh, or folks that have just you know never really um, had the opportunity, or, or just recently haven't had the opportunity as much as as they maybe did when they were younger, when there was less responsibility, when there were less, when there were fewer commitments, right? And, and getting back in, in touch with that side of their life, and um, and then we have you know people who are competitive athletes too. So we kind of run the gamut, but we, what we really just try and do is like help people design meaningful lives, meaningful lifestyles. And so that's just something I'm super passionate about and uh, and that I think is, like I said, resonating with people. Yeah, well, you know, it's building a company is hard and you know, following your passions is, is hard. But when you're doing something that has an impact that's as rewarding as that, it's that's what, um, you know, helps to, to push you through all the, the hard stuff you need to get through to, to make it happen. So it's awesome to see the impact that's coming out of that and, um, how that's changing lives. And if, if you could have attended an outwild event, um, when you were younger, let's say, you know, right after, uh, some of your travels in high school, what, what would be one thing that you wish you had heard at that age that, uh, would have helped to, um, Kind of push you in the right direction or give you some advice that you wish you'd had yeah fantastic question i mean i, I do really wish that had existed and, and i kind of doubt it did but if it did i just didn't know about it and and so i think the um 
the biggest thing that I wish I kind of heard early on was, you know, I'd always been pretty decent at following my intuition. Like, again, I traveled and that might have not been the most conventional or socially acceptable thing to do, but I did it anyway. But I wish I had heard, right, like it's possible to build a career or, or to build income streams or to build, um, you know, uh, a lifestyle that's sustainable um, through what I care about, through what my values are. And that, that I don't think I had a good understanding of. And, and again, that, that action oriented side of things, like, you know, I just kind of was wafting through, through life following what I could and just sort of trying to make it work. But I think what we really try to tell, like Sonny does a lot of, you know, we all, Sonny and I do workshops and I, I'm, I'm more focused on flow nowadays, but, um, which I wish I had also heard early on, but that didn't, well, it probably did exist. Chi, Mihai, Chi Sent Mihai, the, sort of the godfather of flow, kind of came up with that term, coined it, uh, I guess, maybe in the eight, late 80s or early 90s or something like that. But uh, but but I wish I had been exposed to a few of these ideas. And like Sonny does a few things around value alignment and even communication, like asking and, and talking to people about what you want, right? Like, I've been a real people pleaser through the course of my life. And then the moment I started to kind of realize it's like, that doesn't really get me very far. Like, because what goes along with that is that I care what they think too much. And then that dictates my, my actions. Right. Um, and so I think that was one, something I really could have heard early on is like, you know, communicate what you want to the world and don't feel bad for it. You know, like that's, if, if you, Tell your partner, you just start small. Like if, if, if they're doing something that's bothering you or you aren't getting what you want out of the relationship and but you're not communicating it, like that's your fault. That That's on you. You need to tell them that that's what you need. And most likely they'll help you get it or they'll, they'll support you in that way. And so I think it's just being brave and, 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 you know, taking action on what, what you believe in like, flying that flag really high you know like don't be don't be scared to tell the world what you believe and what you want even if it's not socially acceptable or if it's not the status quo or or what you think others want to hear i think it'll serve you better and that's certainly something i've learned um over the years is just i was trying to live the way i thought i was supposed to live and that doesn't serve anybody and people are going to think you're crazy or they're going to tell you it's not going to work or they could tell you you're going to fail, crash, and burn real hard. But you can't listen to those people. And it's easier said than done, but the moment you truly do that and start aligning your life to what you value, that's when the happiness comes, that's when the flow comes, and that's when really things start to get interesting. That's so true. And this might sound like a crazy question, but... How do you know what you really want? I think a lot of times we think we know what we want, but in reality, we don't actually know what we want. How, how, what advice would you give to help people really figure out what they actually want out of you know, their personal life, their professional life, and just where their, where their passions lie? Yeah, no, that, that is the question, Marshall. I think that's like one of the big conundrums, right? Like so many, and this is just shocking to me how many people, and, and, and I get it. Like, why would we? We, we, we go through this system of, of school and, 
and 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 work and the society that just sort of like tells us what to do and like this is what if you do these things and check these boxes then you'll you'll quote unquote be successful and if you if you finish junior high with honors you'll go to or, or i guess high school would be a good example like you, you go to a good college and then if you really do well there then you'll get a great job and and like but, but, but maybe that doesn't work for you or maybe you know you're you're being pressured to be an attorney and that's that that doesn't speak to your skill set that doesn't speak to uh, what puts you into flow that doesn't speak to your interests and you become an attorney and, and 10 years down the road, you're miserable. I mean, these quarter life break or quarter life crises and midlife crises. I mean, this is like common flair, right? And so I think a lot of folks are stuck and, and to answer your question, I think there's a few things. I mean, we could really get into the details and what I advise people, there's a couple of great resources out there. Um, and one is, uh, you know, Simon Sinek. I mean, I think Simon does a great job. If you haven't seen his YouTube video, hopefully you have because it's, it's really good and it's the power of why, or he wrote a book, you know, um, start with why. Uh, but there's a synopsis on YouTube that he kind of applies to organizations, but it's very good for personal work too. And it's right. Like it's not so much the what, right? It's the why, why, why are you doing what you're doing? And, and, and that sounds like an oversimplification and what you need to do is like go back and he has these exercises that he suggests and, and what I help people with that I'm, I'm working with is like, you know, going back through your entire life and looking for these moments where something resonated with you, right. Or something shaped you and, and, and start to document and identify these instances and this is for the folks that are stuck, right? They don't know what they want or what they're interested in or what they're passionate about, right? Go back and you, we're all passionate about something. It could be the most obscure, like you like uh, knitting sweaters for llamas. I don't know. Like maybe that's your thing. Like you got the chance to do that or you saw a YouTube video once and just cracked you up or like that was super interesting to you. Like that's your thing. Or, or maybe it's not so much like a specific skill set. It's just simply something that happened to you, some experience you had where you were, I mean, I'll, I'll use flow because that's my sort of lens that I view things, but it resonated with you or you were excited or maybe you're just like, you love spreadsheets. You, you, you love, you know, working in like organizing things and, and that's something you need to look at. So it's like, I, I kind of like to say it's this trifecta. It's like the what you're interested in, what your strengths are and then of course what the need is like that's the sort of like venn diagram of what you should follow right like they also need is i don't know if there's a big market for sewing sweaters for llamas but like if, if there is then then okay then like that might be something but if there isn't uh then maybe look to the next thing so so that's kind of one way to view it and i think simon sinek's works really good and then you know, uh, Stanford's doing a lot of great work. Um, so we actually, for Outwild, we hire uh, folks from Stanford to come out and do life design workshops for us. And this is something I've been a student of for, for years, and I actually delivered a workshop on this for our first event. Um, and basically, um, there's a life design lab at Stanford. It's actually, I think it used, it used to be the most popular course among undergraduates at Stanford, which is saying something. Uh, I don't know if it still is, but it certainly is up there. And basically, uh, Bill and Dave at, uh, at Stanford have written a book. It's called Designing, Designing Your Life. 
Uh, they've written a workbook. They have some YouTube videos. Check that stuff out. They're really onto something. Basically, what they do is take this design thinking idea that we use to solve problems in all kinds of settings, corporate, organizational settings, like how do we use design to think through and solve problems? Um, they, they've adopted that and turned it to like, how do we think about our lives? And it's fascinating. It's a really good methodology for thinking about how, how do it get unstuck, right? It takes you from the very beginning to the very end. And, and, and in a nutshell, it's basically like, you know, kind of identifying those things, like I said, that are interesting to you or that have resonated with you in the past. And then like taking away this judgment and like this self-criticism that we all have and like thinking through what, uh, what might be interesting to try out. Like they do, they utilize mind mapping and they prototyping and all these sort of like buzzwords, but like basically what it means, like uh, the best way to do it is an example, really quick. Like this guy, I think they had a, they talk about this in the book where this kid went through their program and they, they tell you to like, when you, you're mind mapping, it's basically like a brainstorm and you're not supposed to think about anything. You're just supposed to write flow, right? Like write it down, see what happens. And he wrote one, you know, you start with something that's interesting. I think he wrote surfing or something like that in the middle of, of this piece of paper. And then just like iterated on that, like brainstorm style off this idea for a few minutes and like came up with all these wacky ideas, like the wackier, the better. And you want to look at the outside of the ring. Like oh, the most wacky shit is at the outside of this sort of like map that you create this bubble. And long story short, he basically came up with this idea of combining a bunch of different things on the outer ring. And it, it, it was like, his interests were, surfing he he likes pirate movies and he likes teaching or something like that and i shit you not he came up with the idea to start a surf camp for kids that's pirate themed and is running a very successful business now that's awesome. you know what i mean so is it just for kids because yeah exactly that. like come on diversify <laughs> open up for adults right right <laughs> yeah so it, there's some there's some methods and, and if, if people are interested in the details please I'm, I'm i'm very reachable i'm happy to jump on call i try and give back and pay it forward so uh, if people want to know more details um please please let me know or you know i'm sure you have show notes that we can reference some of these books too oh for sure so you don't have to have a podcast to get in touch with you right correct that's correct <laughs> <laughs> okay <laughs> awesome <laughs> Well, for everyone listening, you should definitely check out all the Outwild events. Um, I'm for sure going to be at uh, some of the next few. So um, it's it's really exciting to see what you're doing. And I completely agree. Simon Sinek's work is amazing. Start With Why is one of my favorite books. If you don't want to take the time to read a book, his uh, TED Talk, it's 15, 20 minutes, and it's amazing as a starting point. Just go watch that TED Talk. It's it's incredible. But um, I'm so glad you brought up Simon Sinek because um, I think his work is really amazing, and I think it actually um, gives me a really good last question. Uh, after all the things that you've explained of really what makes you come alive and, and your passions, and all the things that Simon Sinek um, teaches, what do you think is your why and Outwild's why? They don't have to be the same thing, but I'm imagining they might be. Um, what is that why for for you? Yeah, great question. Well, and, and, and you kind of you you kind of answered it for me, actually, uh, in your last sentence. And that is um, my why is to help people figure out what makes them come alive. That is what I am passionate about. I'm passionate about it for myself. 
and I'm extremely passionate about it for other people. And that's the way I frame that coming alive. That's synonymous with flow in my book. Because the moments that we feel our best and that we feel alive and that the world is our oyster and that we can do anything and that we we feel empowered and strong and and insightful, those are the moments where we're that are worth living for. And if you're not getting enough of those, that's what you need to follow. And and you know, I'm I'm kind of putting some thoughts together around a, a book and that's really the 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 concept, right? Is like following what makes you feel alive because there's no better advice in my book. Um, because if you do that, and again, this very vast, right? That this is a what makes you feel alive, Marshall, might not make me feel alive, but that doesn't mean you shouldn't follow it. And that doesn't mean I shouldn't follow it. Um, but what's interesting is once you, and this is where I really am passionate is this, the, I keep saying, uh, talking about flow and, and, uh, I'm so thankful to sort of my mentors as Stephen Kotler. I know you just read rise of Superman. Great book, highly recommend it for other people. Uh, Jamie wheel, uh, a bunch of people out there, these thought leaders, and I've had a chance to study under them, uh, that they've they've kind of started to peel back the layers of the onion for us and help us understand what did it like. It's easy to just say, okay, follow what makes you feel alive. But what I think is interesting is like why why is that why is that effective? Um, and I think some of the neuroscience is is really really fascinating um, about you know what are these what are these things that are across the board not not the personality differences like you know again knitting a a, a sweater for a, a llama could be your flow thing but like that's probably not mine but that doesn't make it any different but like that's a personality thing but there's actually biological underpinnings that are consistent across all humans that trigger flow and trigger what makes us feel alive and that's what I, that's what I like to help t- people to understand you know like these things of you know risk and novelty and, and you know there's 20 or so triggers that are well researched and established um, and one of my favorites that's worth mentioning because I, I like to leave people with takeaways is this idea of the challenge skills ratio um, and, and without getting too esoteric about it, it it's fairly simple it's just basically like imagine a graph uh, for a visualization is you know an xy axis and, and you have you know challenge on one axis and 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 skill on the other and basically if you map some activity or any anything doesn't need to be sports whatever it is excel spreadsheets or or sweaters for llamas if you map that um and you you imagine a line sort of running a 45 degree angle through the axes that's the flow channel so meaning that when you have a ch- something that's fairly challenging, but not too hard to where you're frustrated or you add downright fail, and also you have some level of skill in marrying those two together and reaching a point where you're, you're pushing the limits, but you can do it kind of, right? It's like that point where you're learning and growing and becoming stronger. It's like, what's the Superman thing? Like no pain, no gain. Like it's the little bit of pain, but you get the gain, right? And that's the flow channel. And that concept by itself is really fascinating. And even just acknowledge, like understanding that and recognizing opportunities where you can, you know, kind of get that balance between the, in the challenge skills ratio um, can really trigger flow and, and help you find things that bring you alive. 
Thanks for listening to another episode of Inside the Adventure. That was the story of Jeremy Jensen, co-founder of Outwild, which if you're listening to this podcast or any of our other podcasts and you're looking for a way to really build an intentional life design for the outdoor and adventure-minded enthusiasts, then definitely go to outwild.co and check out some of their upcoming events. They've got an incredible community of growing outdoor and adventure-minded enthusiasts that will really help you to take that next step and build a life of adventure, passion, and purpose.